So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, this episode is going to be again about The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. More of the intro. As always. And today we're going to go further with the summary quite well, obviously, you know, even though I just still don't like the word. Um, and we're going to go ahead with the defensive investor, which is the first of these two kinds, he says, at least. And something is not working as it should be working. Please power it. But it is not powering it. And I don't know why. Maybe it is just, I've turned it off. <laughs> so let's just go straight ahead with the summary after I've shown you it. Here it is. And it is again by the paulminus.com site. The link should be down in the description. I hope that it is in the description and I hope that it is also working. But if you can't find it or if the link is somehow dead or something, then please just Google Paul Minus and the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham and you're probably going to find it. Like chances are pretty high and pretty good. It is a pretty um, relatively well-known, I'd say, and also a really good website. And also you should be fine with that, I assume. Let's just Yes, let's have it like this. Should be fine. Should be good to go. So the first point, the defensive investor, or actually the second one, a defensive investor runs and wins the race by sitting still, which I guess is a quote from the book. Don't buy more because the stock market has gone up. Don't sell because it has gone down. The heart of Graham's approach is to replace guesswork with discipline, you know, with buying something at specific points of time or in specific periods of time in terms of like, okay, every month you're going to buy something, every week you're going to buy something or every day you're going to buy something. Maybe. I don't know. It depends. A 50% bonds and 50% common stocks approach makes good sense here. Any dividation depends on your attitude, appetite for risk and life circumstances. If you can take high risks, go for a minimum of 25% in bonds and cash. And if you're risk averse, aim at a maximum of 75% in bonds and also cash. And I think it is actually pretty risky since we all know that if you're having a lot of cash, then um, inflation is going to do its work, you know, which is also one of the reasons why investing is maybe something that we should be doing. Even though, like I also know, and this is something that I've been talking about in the last episode as well, people like Gary Vee just talk about staying liquid, you know, and having the money on the side and having cash there to just being able to buy certain things when the time is there. I think which also makes sense quite. Rebalance every six months on easy to remember dates like for example New Year's and the 4th of July. Well yeah <laughs> I don't know if the 4th of July is like that easily rememberable. Remember able. Rememberable. Well Never mind. Bonds. Bonds offer low returns but secure and stabilize your portfolio. Thus, it is a wiser it is wiser to keep away from low quality high yield bonds. Thus, it is wiser to keep away from low quality and high yield bonds because when something is low in well, I would say when something is high in return, which is high yield, I'd say, and low in just buying it, then I think probabilities are pretty high that the risk is also pretty high. At least this is what I'm seeing. And if you're defensive and if you're just trying to go for the long run, which is definitely the case for a defensive investor, then I think it is just something that you should not be doing, I guess. 
The major type of bonds that deserve investor considerations investor consideration are the US savings bond and the Series E and Series H. I don't know any of them. You know, don't get me wrong. I don't know. But I guess he's quite right. Even though I do want to point out that First of all, I don't know anything about it. Like, I can't say that it is a good decision, it is a bad decision. I don't really know, you know, because I'm trying to learn here. On the other hand, I don't know what it is like at this point in time, because it is a relatively old book. So it could definitely be the case that nowadays it is somehow differently, you know. It could be the case that nowadays this is exactly the wrong thing to do. So please fact check that and maybe just talk to somebody that knows his or her craft. Bond funds offer cheap and easy diversification, along with the convenience of multiple of monthly income, which you can reinvest right back into the fund at current rates without paying a commission. For most investors, bond funds beat individual bonds hands down. I do wonder, by the way, just because I'm reading it, if you're just making a monthly income with your bond funds, which is something that I've actually checked then, and I wasn't quite able to find something quite I know, wasn't quite able because, because I don't know, like I was interested whether it is like, okay, just really a monthly return basically, or really monthly income. But the thing is, and what I wanted to talk about is, I don't know, but I'm probably going to remember really quickly. Yes. Um, if you take the money out of it in terms of like, if you decide to, to, quite earn the money you know you're getting a, a monthly income and you try you're you're just deciding to not put that into the whole machine again then i think there's probably going to be like some um some some taxes there either that or some uh, um some 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 a certain percentage that you have to to just pay somebody because of some reasons i don't know why and you probably know what i'm referring to but i assume but I also assume that there's nothing if you're just reinvesting it, just if you get it, or you're not even getting it, but it is just getting reinvested and reinvested and reinvestment and so on and so on. So it seems to be quite a cool thing. But what I really believe in, you know, and as far as I've also been hearing other people talking about it, there's going to be something coming relatively soon in this summary as well. Major firms like Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, and or Schwab, I don't, I don't actually know how to pronounce it, and T. Rowe Price offer a great, a broad menu of bond funds at low cost. And also Vanguard is a name that I know because of a certain reason. Common stocks. You cannot afford to be without an appreciable, appreciable portion of high quality common stocks in your portfolio because they offer a considerable considerable degree of protection against inflation and higher average returns over the years. Graham's rule for the common stock component, the first one, adequate but not excessive diversification, a minimum of 10, a minimum of 10 different issues and a maximum of 30. The second, define yourself to the shares of important companies with a long record of profitable operations and in strong financial condition with a long record of continuous dividend payments. And the third and the last one, limit the price you'll pay for an issue. Set at 25 times its average earnings over the past seven years and not more than 20 times those of the last year. Such a, such a strategy eliminates the strongest and most popular companies and the entire category of growth stocks. So I'm willing to repeat it once again. Limit the price you'll pay for an issue. Set at 25 times its average earnings over the past seven years and not more than 20 times those of the last year. So there's probably going to be some research 
I guess, until you find something like that. But I think it just also kind of makes sense. But something really important, a quick explanation for rule three, the benefits in your portfolio can be lost if you pay a high price for your shares. There we know why it is important. In contrast, large, relatively unpopular companies and therefore obtainable at reasonable earnings, uh, earnings multipliers are a sound choice. Never invest in any company, however, without first studying its financial statements and estimating its business value. And I think this is one of the most important points that he's making there. Um, I don't know whether this is actually in the book or from the book or whether this is actually from the author of the summary, but I really deeply believe in that. I really deeply believe in not investing any money into anything that you don't know what it is all about. If you know the game, if you can just make good decisions, then I think it is also a good idea to just invest your money. But if you don't, then it is not a good idea, basically. I do just remember something, quite. And it's not good. <laughs> because I've probably forgotten about um, cutting something out of a video or the, the video that's gonna come today and I've also rendered it so it's actually done and I've also deleted the original file. Hmm. Well, yeah, maybe. We'll see, I guess. Um, or maybe I haven't. Well, I don't know. The thing is, if you know what it's really all about, if you know the the statistics maybe if you know the details if you know what the whole thing is really all about then i think you can also make good decisions based or just a good decision of should i really invest into this or should i not you know and i think it also just really makes sense to look at if they paid their dividends in the last just 20 years or something and whether they the company grow or grew in the past like 10 years 15 years whatever he also said I think it just makes sense, like just fact-checking whatever you're investing in and just taking the time to make then a good decision. If it is about an individual stock, I would say. Of course, like the first companies that I had to think about are, are Apple, Coca-Cola as well, um, maybe Pepsi even, just as I'm thinking about it, but, but Microsoft and all Amazon. Amazon, of course, like I believe in Amazon. I really do. Like I know that the share of Amazon... Amazon Oops. Let's see. Let's see how big it is. And it is at 1.6k. So I do really have to say, and it's just obviously went down because of reasons. And but if we even though it's not that much, well it is pretty much down. I know. 1.6. The highest price was at quite two thousand euros, which is basically also two thousand uh dollars. So yeah, you know, just to illustrate that. Um, where I've stopped. Mutual funds are the ultimate way for a defensive investor to capture the upside of stock ownership without the downside of having to polish your own portfolio. At relatively low cost, at, at relatively low cost, you can buy a high degree of diversification and convenience. You're letting a professional pick and watch the stocks for you. This is something that I wouldn't ever never ever do because of course, like it is a good idea if you're having a professional that is doing everything for you on one side. On the other side, it is definitely the case that there's going to be a lot of, it's not permission, but it is uh, not permission, permission, sub, no, no, submission is something from BJJ. <laughs> there is a lot of, it's also not fees. Well, it is somehow fees, like there is fees that you have to pay. Something with P, I just can't just remember it. But if you're just having something that's um, that it's picking your stocks and, and also just 
just uh, making your portfolio quite, there is going to be a lot of money that goes into this person's pocket or at least in the company's pocket. Like if it is like a, a company that is, that is doing that. Uh, of course, you're going to have a probably sure return or something. You know, it's probably going to be better than, I don't know, just not doing anything with your money quite. But if you're investing on your own, if you're doing it yourself, you're going to get just everything. I don't know how high the commissions are, but I don't know. I do assume that they're actually relatively high since they're doing everything. You know, you're just providing them with money and that's quite it. Every week, month or calendar quarter, you buy more whether the market has gone up and or down. And I think this is also very important, you know, to just not just not being uh, primed, well, not, not really primed, but kind of uh, biased by the market and by, by what it is like at this point in time. Because, you know, even though a lot of people say that they have broken the market and they have figured everything out, like, no, it is still something that is like, um, yeah, you know, we don't know, actually, you know, we don't know what it is going to be like, we just, we can expect and assume how things are going to be, but it is still like just gambling, you know, but maybe not that risky, I'd say, because I I do believe, but I, I really am not dedicated in that, but I think and I believe that we've been able to figure quite, we, we, we didn't figure it out but we're quite close, I think, to just to just what reality really is like, you know. On the other hand, th- th- therefore, like, this is the reason why I believe just putting money into the market all the fucking time is a good idea, because we never ever know, you know. Probably some money is going to be lost, and probably also some money is going to be just really good invested. On the flip side, if it is like in a period of time, and I don't quite remember it, but uh, there's been a period of time of, I think, nine years or something where there was really a bad economy and, and also the stock prices didn't went up that much. And at that time, like, it wouldn't have been that good, I guess, unless you've been able, you would have been able to carry all your stocks with you until everything rose again. Quite, you know, quite, you know, but I think it just makes sense just buying it when it is low and then selling it when it is high. Quite, you know, index funds. And this is my all time favorite, I would say. And as far as I know, it is just really, really, really a good one. And it makes sense to invest your money into index funds. It is something that Warren Buffett said. It is something that he, Benjamin Graham, also says. It is something that Tony Robbins says. It is also something that. Um, if you're googling it, everybody says it. I don't know if it is then like something like uh, just a myth, basically. But yeah, the ideal approach, however, is owning a portfolio of index funds. Index funds own every stock or bond worth having. That way, you renounce the guessing game of where the market is going. Practically, let's say you can spare 500 bucks a month by owning just three index funds, which is 300 in one that holds the total U.S. stock market. 100 in one that holds four eigenstocks and 100 in one that holds US bonds. You can ensure that you own almost every investment on the planet that's worth owning. And there it is like, of course, there's going to be a lot of, there is indeed going to be a lot of quote-unquote wasted money, you know, because there's going to be a lot of money lost there, you know. And especially in, in such a case, it is important to invest every single month those 500 bucks um, to just, have something in the system and keep it in the system and also just not just taking the money out of it even though the market is bad and whatnot to just 
basically wait the longest amount of time you can. So every month, like clockwork, you buy more. If the market has dropped, you preset amount, your preset amount goes further, buying you more shares than the month before. If the market has gone up, then your money buys you fewer shares. Because yes, you know, you're just having the same amount of money, but you're able to just buy different amounts of stocks as far as I have just understood that. With your portfolio on permanent autopilot, you prevent you prevent yourself from either flinging money at the market that goes up and and is actually more dangerous because it is more expensive to buy or refusing to buy more after a market crash has made investments truly cheaper but seemingly also more risky. Expecting an average overall return of 7% on the performance of an index fund portfolio which will cost about 0.3% of the portfolio's value. You should be expecting a total of 6.7% return per year. Which means, and now it is all about compound interest. Which means, you're having, um, let's say you're having 10k. 10, 1, 2, 3. And we are just multiplying that by 1 point. And I'm very sorry that it is like just switching in the background point. 6.7 because it's 67% oh 6.7 is 1.0 1.067 which means that if you're having 10k in your bank account you're gonna have 10,060 uh, 10,670 bucks you have made 670 bucks by just basically doing nothing but having your money in the stock market but now if we just take um 1067 or 10,670, and now again multiplied with 1.067, we are going to be at 11.385. Uh, four. Well, actually five, you know, I've, uh, is it rounded? I don't know. So which means that every time you're, or every year, you're just taking the amount of money that's in the bank and multiplying or just adding this percentage of it to it. And every year it's going to be more. This is why it progressively and exponentially gets more. I mean, if we think about a million, uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, times 1.067, it is 67k a year, you know, and now this again, and now this again, and whatnot, like it's, it's amazing. A low-cost index fund is the best tool ever created for low-maintenance stock investing and any effort to improve on, its, on it takes more work and it cures more risk and higher costs than a truly defensive investor can justify. Hold an index fund for 20 years or, or more, adding new money every month and you're able to put... Uh, and, you're able, you, and you are all but certain to outperform the, the vast majority of professional and individual investors alike. Both Graham and Buffett praised index funds. So keep 90% of your stock of your own stock money in an index fund, leaving 10% with which you try picking your own stocks. Never allow your speculative thinking to spill over the, to spill over into your investing activities and never mingle the money in your speculative account with what is in your investment accounts. Yeah, so it is two separate things and you should you should be treating them as two separate things, I would say and or as I'm seeing it right there. But yeah, this is going to be the end of the episode. I hope you have had fun and I hope that you have just found something that's interesting. I hope that you've learned something. I hope that, that it has been fun for you. And yeah, 
I wish you the best health of but it's an all success and also hope that you're gonna remind yourself and you're gonna be remembered which basically means your legacy and basically means just being a nice person and then being remembered as a nice person three other questions that I'm having for you are why are you here what are you trying to change and what is bothering you the most and with that being said I really have to thank you and I'm hopefully gonna see you the next time so bye bye